It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. to talk with a man who is both a genuine, honest-to-God, certified rock star and someone who is at the epicenter of both the fight to preserve AM radio in cars, but also the publisher of Talk Radio's leading trade publication. Our guest is not only somebody that has been very supportive and encouraging to me throughout the last couple of decades, to be honest, and I've learned a lot about radio and the media from him, but he just also has a great set of pipes. You hear this gentleman talk and you think, boy, there was a guy that was born to be on the radio. I am talking, of course, about Michael Harrison, the publisher of Talkers Magazine. Very, very pleased to be able to talk with him again. Michael, it is great to connect with you. Thanks for joining me. Frank, your introductions are amazing. Embarrassing, but amazing. Thank you. <laughs> no, it, as I uh, as I frequently say, and it's certainly the case, they have the added virtue of, uh, of being true. You are a rock star. You do have an incredible voice. And uh, the work that you've been doing with Talkers is just terrific. I know people might have heard some of our previous conversations, but we're getting new listeners all the time airing on more and more stations. Thank goodness. For people that have not heard you before, Michael, explain to folks what Talkers is. I was just trying to explain it to one of my neighbors who doesn't work in the talk radio business. And she said, wait a minute, wait, it's like a newspaper for talk show hosts. And I said, well, yeah, kind of. But I'm sure Michael Harrison can do a better job explaining it. What is Talkers? Even though it's often um, difficult to explain, it really is a very simple definition. Talkers is a 33-year-old trade publication that's designed to serve the talk media industry. It's uh, to talk media, which is talk radio, talk television, podcasting, satellite. It's to that industry, the same, uh, the same role, let's say, that Billboard is to the music industry, Variety is to the film industry, Women's Wear Daily is to the garment industry. It's a trade magazine. I know on Friday is the annual Talkers Conference, which I look forward to every year. I learned so much from the panels, been fortunate enough to be on a couple of panels over the years. And just the value in terms of networking is great. But even before I could afford to buy a ticket to the Talkers Conference, I used to love the videos that would be posted. And I'd be able to learn so much about some of the leading professionals in the industry. For listeners that we have around the country that may not be able to make it to Hofstra on uh, on Friday, is there a way for folks to check out the video of any of these panels? 
Oh, of course. As a matter of fact, we have a worldwide audience for the event after the fact. Every panel, every session, every address is video recorded. And uh, there are behind-the-scenes interviews being done with um, most of the participants. Everybody there is a star in one way or another in, in the radio business and in the television business. And uh, we'll be posting them at talkers.com. And I'm sure you'll probably post the one that you're involved in uh, on your website. So, yes, uh, people who are fans of talk radio, enthusiasts, supporters of it, uh, fans of this program, listeners to WABC, cable, cable news talk television, they'll be able to attend the event, um, you know, about a week or two after it when we get everything sliced and diced and all pretty, and it'll be posted at no cost. People who um, are fans of this medium love to know what's going on behind the scenes, mm -hmm. and uh, we provide a ton of that. Yeah, I think more so than almost any news and information medium that there is, the listeners, the P1s uh, to talk radio stations, they love to sound like insiders. And if that's you, if you want to sound like an insider, uh, go to talkers.com and sign up for the daily newsletter, and you'll know as much as the rest of us that work in talk radio know. Now, one of the real threats to talk radio is something that a lot of elected officials, both on the left and on the right have been calling out not just for the effect on talk radio but for the potential negative drawbacks for emergency communications and all sorts of other things and that is auto manufacturers taking am radio out of cars now ford did backtrack on that they did announce that they're going to keep it in their both electric vehicles and their gas-powered vehicles but you still have tesla no am radio bmw no am radio in their electric vehicles several other auto Audio manufacturers are saying that, sorry, there's just too much interference. What, wh how significant is what these auto manufacturers are doing? And do you buy the argument on their end that it's just about signal interference? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think it's about money. I think that they're taking advantage of um, the opportunity to stay ahead of the curve uh, in terms of media evolution and don't really see much of a difference between dumping A-tracks, cassette players, and um, uh, CD players. Uh, difference between that and, and AM or an FM radio. But there's a huge utilitarian and cultural difference between the two. CD players and cassette machines and 8-tracks are no longer popular. People don't buy them. They don't use them. They don't need them. They know how to get around them. However, AM and FM radio and AM radio is what we're talking about right now, but if they throw out AM, FM won't be far behind, you can be sure. Um, these are living, breathing, organic entities that play a major role in our society, in our culture, in our economy, in our well-being, in our security, and they are listened to by millions of people. We're not talking about uh, some fringe on the side of society. Between 40 and 80 million people a week consume AM radio, FM even more. So it's a premature move. Look, I, my head's not in the sand. If anything, I'm a futurist, and um, I try not to engage in nostalgia, although I do get sentimental about the subject of radio. But being as objective and futuristic as possible, there's no question that down the road, five years, ten years from now, there may not be as great a need for these individual appliances that come from the 20th century or earlier. But right now, 
it's it's premature to get rid of them. They just probably figured, you know, heck, look at how many how much money we can save and how convenient this could be. Get rid of those devices. We'll have these nice streamlined digital dashboards, and um, you know, we'll be able to know where everybody's driving and how fast they're going and when they skid, <laughs> when they when they break <laughs> the traffic laws, and and all kinds of things that come with you know in the underbelly of the digital age. But um, no, it's premature, and and that's why. It's significant to answer your question. One of the points that you made in your column on talkers on this subject, which I thought was right on the money, is that, uh, you know, among young people, there are fewer and fewer people driving at 18 years old. There are fewer and fewer people counting down the days to getting their driver's license and being able to drive. And you made the point that maybe, just maybe, that radio could actually outlast the car as a as a means of being a part of everyone's everyday life. Why do you think that's the case? Well, I think that there'll always be um, communication. There'll always be spoken word communication. There'll always be communication. Whether that communication in terms of packaged commercial uh, public communication uh, takes uh, place on an AM or an FM radio is not the issue. The kind of programming, the, the kind of, to use a word that's very popular now, content that's played on radio will continue, and it'll continue to be known as radio. Uh, just like, you know, you, you read the newspaper, even though you might be looking online to see it, or, or you, mm. you um, saw a movie, and you're watching it on television. You don't just suddenly say, uh, you know, uh, this is a video I'm watching. It's still a movie. Tom Cruise is still a movie star, not a video star, even though he's seen on television. Um, it takes a certain abstract intelligence to understand the difference between the form and the function. That being said, I think we're on the verge of that entity known as the automobile being obsolete. We just don't have a clue of it yet. When they talk about driverless cars, if there were driverless cars, that would mean that we have an entire grid set up across the whole country based on GPS, where because they'd all have to subscribe to it. You couldn't have driverless cars and drivered cars on the same roads. Once people are not driving their cars, which is inevitable on main roads, there'll be no reason to own a car. There'll be no reason to be proud of your car. There'll be no reason to be in car culture. It'll just become like a, a super uber connected form of mass transportation, of public transportation. Now, I don't want to go off on a tangent here on you, but I'll, I'll let, let that fester in people's minds. Let that ruminate on that for a bit. Therefore, it's not out of the realm of possibility that we will have a communications form called radio long after we no longer have cars, um, as the automobile and the car culture would indicate. Uh, that certainly gives people a lot of food for thought. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Michael Harrison. You could uh, check him out at talkers.com. Not only read some of his great work there, but uh, really no talk radio like an insider. He also does a couple of terrific podcasts, including uh, one that I've been privileged enough to be a, uh, a guest on. And I know a lot of you were at the rally that we had Saturday with Gerald Salente. Uh, you have not lived until you've heard Michael Harrison's interview with Gerald Salente. You could just search 
Michael Harrison interview on any podcast app. It comes right up. Michael, one of the things that really struck me is the owner of this network, Red Apple Media, John Katsimatidis, did an interview with uh, our president, Chad Lopez, in another trade publication recently. And they said that when they took over WABC, which was one of the biggest talk stations in the country, and then it had kind of fallen into a, a dismal state when John took it over, is that the first thing they did was get rid of the infomercials on the weekend. And Chad said it cost them $2.7 million a year in lost revenue. But one of the things that we've seen is a tremendous uptick in the ratings. Go figure when you replace colon cleanser infomercials with uh, (laughs) shows that people actually want to hear, the ratings go up. I think WCBM in Baltimore can tell a similar story. But there are very few stations that are willing to do that, that are willing to sacrifice that easy money uh, in order to invest in programming, which may not pay dividends for four, five, six years, if ever. How much of the problems that AM radio is facing are are self-inflicted, are due to owners and station managers being willing to take that easy money instead of being uh, willing to invest in the long term? I think a majority of it can be attributed to um, uh, self-inflicted wounds or shooting yourself in the foot. Um, uh, Much of that comes from the fact that over the last 30 years, the radio industry has become consolidated and in the process, very corporate. And in the run-up to consolidation, there was easy money. Wall Street loved, loved radio. And you know, whenever it's easy to get loans for any particular commodity, the price goes up. You know, when, when it's easy to get mortgages, the price of housing goes up. Um, there's a correlation between it. So what happened is during the run-up to consolidation after deregulation and all kinds of things set the moon and the stars in, in alignment for um, companies to want to own as many radio stations as possible, they paid exorbitant prices for it. And then when we hit um, the um, around 2008, the economy went sour and there were all kinds of bubbles bursting. They wound up with properties that were far uh, more expensive than they were currently worth. And radio went into an economic crunch. They started laying off people. They started closing down news departments. They started to um, have one person run four stations or five stations in these accumulated clusters that they had. And um, uh, it became uh, certainly a negative thing in terms of good programming and the kind of um, really full service that radio was able to provide its audiences both in entertainment and in information. That's the problem. That's it in a nutshell. There are a lot of folks that we really respect. Uh, Michael Smirkanish comes to mind. I think Brian Rosenwald comes to mind, who've indicated that the what the the argument that these auto manufacturers were making has some merit to it, which is that the content that's being put out on these AM radio stations can be found elsewhere. People can find what's on WCBM or WABC or whatever else uh, KWAM. They can find that on streaming and listen to whatever they want in their car or or anywhere else explain to folks why that might be a fallacious argument if people can find whatever they want streaming on their phone and listen to it in their car what does it matter if the car has no am radio 
Well, on one level, that's an argument that I've made in, in certain situations um, <laughs> whereby um, if we're going to go around yelling that, oh, my gosh, if the car manufacturers are dropping AM radio, that must mean AM radio is dead. And it's not dead. The fact is that's a true argument. People are learning how to listen to AM radio through other means, and they can hear it in their car. So let's not lose sight of the fact that the existence of AM radio is dependent upon its placement in cars, because that's, that's not healthy for, for, for the radio business to put that story out there, because it's not true. What is true, that for the five or, next, or ten next years, many, many, many people, the millions I talked about before, have much easier, in some cases, total access to these programs via the AM device. That, that they could be living in an area where there isn't Wi-Fi. They could be of a certain age where they just don't have the ability to learn another digital trick and, and, and know how to set their smartphone up with Bluetooth and have it go into the, the dashboard and, and suddenly pop up sure. as a radio. They just, uh, and, then, and then there are people that are not of this culture uh, they, they speak a foreign language. They're con connected to the old country. They're trying to integrate into American life. And the radio is the only place they have to be able to have that um, language lifeline to their culture. And let's not forget that there are gospel and religious stations out there that still rely on people who only know radio. Uh, some of these areas are rural where there's no Wi-Fi wi service, etc. So it's a matter of timing. It's a kick in the teeth in terms of it's like euthanasia. Well, let's put it out of its misery and just kill it. No, right. it's got life left in it. So the argument is true, Frank, but it's not true in terms of the here and the now in terms of radio. Michael, let me end with this. It's a question that I'm sure you get almost every day because it's a question I get very frequently from conservatives, from liberals, from people that might be in between or from people that are even non-political. And if you look at uh, whether it's the heavy hundred or any of the list of the top rated talk show hosts in the country, so many of them, the overwhelming majority of them happen to be conservatives. And one of the questions that I've been asked frequently, and I've given my best answer on it over the years, is why that's the case. Why have conservatives continued to dominate talk radio? It was easy to understand maybe 35 years ago when there weren't a lot of other places that you could get conservative opinion. But now you have Fox, you have Newsmax, you have 9 million websites, you have the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, Town Hall, all these books. And yet conservatives still do incredibly well in the terrestrial talk radio world. Why do you think that's the case, Michael? Well, you, you answered the question when you said that you could understand why that would be the case 30 years ago. Well, 30 years ago, they got a jump on it. <laughs> the, the conservatives in the commercial radio realm got a jump on this particular art form, this particular media form, and they never let up. Um, I also have an expression that I use, the trends go where the talent lies. You know, in mm. rock and roll, if you didn't have the Beatles and you didn't have Elvis Presley, and you didn't have Jerry Lee Lewis and you didn't have Pink Floyd and the Rolling Stones, well, maybe you wouldn't have had rock and roll. Well, some of the greatest talk show hosts of the first 100 years of radio's existence just happened to be conservatives. 
the trends go where the talent lies. And then on a more esoteric level, and I don't want to take up too much time. I know, I know you're fighting the clock. From a broadcasting standpoint, the, the, the demographic makeup of card-carrying conservatives is a more targetable audience than people who may vote Democratic or um, are liberals. And maybe another time we can talk about that, but, th- but that's as quick an answer I can give you to a complicated uh, question. Michael Harrison, check him out in Talkers Magazine. Go to talkers.com. And Michael, as I've uh, said to you privately many times, thank you for all the advocacy you've done on my behalf, all the advice you've given me privately, and uh, being such a champion of mine within the talk radio world. I, I owe you a great deal. Thank you, Frank. Thank you so much. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight.